Hi, and welcome to episode 22 of the Ask Mr. DNS podcast. This is Cricket Lou, along with my co-host, Matt Larson. Hi, everybody. It's your long-awaited episode 22. <laughs> I know. We missed the month of March entirely. Yes, we did. We were avoiding the Ides of March. Oh, yeah, that's it. Yeah, exactly. It's, it was prudent of it. I guess there are Ides of every month, according to at least a, a New York Times crossword that I did recently. <laughs> oh. It's just the middle of the month or something. Well, I think that our, our aspiration for this episode was to actually get, to, get around to uh, three answers, wasn't it? Yeah, we'll give it our best shot. Right. So why don't we go ahead and dip into the mailbag, as it were. Do you, do you have anything to rustle? Uh, yeah. Okay. No, you, you don't. You don't say that. You say, "Do you open the mailbag?" And <laughs> there, there, there it is. Well, one of these days we're actually going to have to buy ourselves a prop mailbag. All right. And the first question uh, in, in the mailbag uh, comes from uh, Brian Mazoko, and he asks, "We have purchased two European companies. Oh, good for you." Uh, and as we integrate them, I have noticed some records I don't totally understand. I'm not suggesting that the records are unique to Europe, just that I have not seen them before or used them in the fashion they are used in these zones. The records are, and it's going to be difficult to, to imagine this, I guess, um, <clean throat> one it has a, a at sign dot domain name dot com, and the next one has star, like asterisk, dot domain name dot com. And he says, I think I understand the asterisk records, uh, and it seems to return an A record for anything that you put in front of the domain name. Therefore, brian.domainname.com would return the A record f from domainname.com. fred.domainname.com would return the same IP address and so on. The at record, I'm not so sure about, although they seem the same as the asterisk. Uh, and then he says, in one other peculiar item, I have noticed several zones that have the mail server A record as pointing to 127.0.0.1, the IP version 4 loopback address. Would that return the DNS server's own address, or would it return 127.0.0.1, and they would not get mail at all? Thanks. All right, so several things going on here. That's right. Uh, let's see. Maybe we should take, uh, should we just take him in the order that he mentions them in the email? Uh, yeah, that's fine. The first thing he mentions is the, uh, the uh, at sign. So the at sign is part of uh, some shortcuts in the DNS master file format or what most people just call a zone file format. And the way I explain this to people is that, you know, 100 years ago uh, when DNS was invented, the idea, the expectation was that everybody's going to be typing all these zone files by hand. And so right. there's all kinds of shortcuts in there. Uh, you know, for example, you can leave off the domain name and you can leave out the, uh, the class that you just almost always eye in for the internet class. You can leave out the time to live. And in, in cases when you do that, it just inherits whatever the previous one specified in the file was. Yep. So you can end up with files that are really quite compact. And one of the shortcuts, uh, in addition to the ones I just mentioned, is the at sign. And that's like a macro substitution. The at sign always gets replaced with what's called the origin of the file. And the origin starts out as whatever the zone name that's being loaded is. So for example, if you tell your name server, all right, you're going to be a primary master name server for the zone domain name.com, and here's the zone file. If an at sign ever appears in that zone file, it's going to get replaced with domain name.com because that's the name of the zone, and therefore, at least when you start, 
uh, parsing the zone file. That's the origin of the file. Right. And you can change the origin at some point if you want to, although unless, you know, somebody who, who knows to change the origin with what's called a dollar origin control statement already knows what the at sign is anyway. <laughs> right. Right. And then, uh, well, let's see. The next one, the star.domainian.com, that's a wild card, and we could talk for ages and ages and ages about wildcards. Right. Uh, but that's that's basically, that that's the closest you get in um, DNS to, uh, I guess let's call it a, a meta query. You know, DNS, unlike, say, a relational database, uh, doesn't let you, you specify free-form queries. You know, you, you can't just say, oh, give me all the records with, you know, that start with the word domain and uh, is this type and this type or this type. And you know, you, you, it's not like building an SQL query for a database. Right. Uh, you know, instead, you have to always specify uh, three parameters, uh, a domain name, which is formally called an owner name, uh, a class, which is almost always going to be IN for the Internet class, and then a type like A for address records or SOA for SOA records and so on. So you have to specify those three parameters. And... Uh, an, an exception to that, or, or I should say, uh, not an exception, that's not, that's not the right word, but sort of the only way to kind of get around that is uh, wildcards allow records to be synthesized. And so that allows multiple uh, different answers for uh, a given query. Do you want to, I don't know, you want to expand on that, Cricket? I feel like I didn't do the best job ever. <laughs> well, the way I think of it, that. It, it, the way that I think of it is that that, that wildcard matches uh, any zero or more labels. So in Brian's example, star.domainname.com would answer, you know, as he said, uh, brian.domainname.com or fred.brian.domainname.com or, you know, any number of labels, .domainname.com. It wouldn't match domainname.com, though, uh, which is why you'd need that, that uh, freestanding uh, at sign to match just plain old domainname.com as well. There are complicated... Um, rules that govern when uh, certain explicit data can override the application of that that wild card, but probably not enough time to go into that. Yeah, well, it's it's pretty straightforward, though, right? If you've got if you've got a name, if a name exists, basically the record doesn't get synthesized. Well, right. It, so that if you have, for example, a star.domainname.com, uh, and you have also an explicit fred.domainname.com then somebody looking up fred.domainname.com wouldn't get anything synthesized by the wildcard. But also, if you were looking up foo.fred.domainname.com, you wouldn't see anything synthesized. Right. Right, so it, it inhibits the application of the wildcard in the subtree below the, uh, the explicit data as well. Yeah, which I, I, and I think that's confusing to many people, the whole idea that uh, the existence of certain names stops wildcard synthesis. Yeah, exactly. But that's just not what you expect. If you look at this as more like a regular expression, then you'd go, well, why doesn't everything match? But it, it's not a regular expression. Right. And, and I think, um, you know, people want to be able to use wildcards to say, oh, you know, every host in the zone has a default MX record that points to such and such a mail exchanger. Right. And you can't do that because, you know, all the hosts in the zone actually own things like address records. And so the wildcard domain name doesn't apply to them. Right. It only applies to things that don't already exist. <laughs> right. Which seems like seems like it would be of, of kind of questionable utility. Yeah. All right. Well, that's probably more than enough about wildcards. And um, let's see. Do you want to talk about this one where the 
uh, we have a mail server a record pointing to the loopback. Yeah, yeah. And, and Brian asked uh, for, first of all wh whether um, if somebody looked up that mail.domainname.com whether it would return the the IP address of the the name server. Uh, and it wouldn't. No, it would actually actually return literally the the IPv4 loopback address, and so that mail would in fact go nowhere. <laughs> yeah, it, so it's kind of a, a nonsensical thing to do. It, it'd be interesting to know what somebody had in mind. Maybe they specifically didn't want mail to that mail server to go anywhere. Um, that's the only thing I can think of because you're. you're explicitly publishing something that is uh, deliberately broken. Yeah, it, it's as though you're saying we don't accept mail uh, sent to this domain name. Yep. All right. One down. One down, absolutely. All right, who do we have next? Looks like we have uh, John Shin. All right, so um, John Shin asks us uh, if... An authoritative DNS server uses a CNAME to, to delegate to a CDN, and by CDN he means a, a content data network like Akamai. Right. Um, and the CDN does not sign the delegated zone for whatever reason. How would the requesting DNS server or client handle that? Right. Well, so I oh, go ahead. I was going to say, so I think the presumption here is that, you know, let, let's say we have the domain uh, example.com and it's signed and it delegates uh, www.example.com to a CDN, and that's not signed. How, how does that all work? Right, right. Um, that, that's actually a kind of a, a, a conveniently straightforward uh, example that you came up with. Um, certainly, if we assume that the recursive name server that's actually retrieving this stuff is configured to, to do DNSSEC validation, then it would be able to validate the CNAME record, right? It would be able mm -hmm. to say, "Oh, okay, this is this is in fact a valid CNAME record, and the RR SIG record checks out, and you know, I I can establish a chain of trust from you know the RR SIG record all the way back to the the root zone's public key signing key, which is sort of you know the source of all trust, I guess." But um, then, presumably, when it followed delegation to www. Uh, you said example.com. I I did, but you know what? I just realized that the example I gave is not quite what he described there. I mean, I can think of a couple of different ways to right, uh, right. get well, your traffic to a CDN. And I used the, the delegation one rather than the aliasing one. Right, right. But this is, I mean, uh, the delegation, in the delegation case, of course, they'd follow delegation. The delegation to www.example.com would show that the www.example.com zone was not signed. Consequently, the, the validator wouldn't expect it to be. And it would have to be willing to accept that unsigned, you know, address record. But I, th I think you, what, what you're pointing out is that in the more general case, uh, something like www.example.com is actually a CNAME or owns a CNAME record. That, that alias points to, you know, www.example.com dot, you know, acadns.com or something over, mm -hmm. at, over at Akamai. Um, and then once that validating name server... Uh, wants to you know if if it's trying to actually validate the uh, the a record that it gets back from akamai presumably it gets down you know through the through the tree and finds that maybe aka dns.com isn't signed um, and consequently is not expecting our sig records to accompany the address record for you know www.example.com.acadns.com or .net does that sound right it it does i i now i'm remembering there's some subtlety to this uh the CNAME 
example here, and I wish I could remember it off the top of my head, and I can't. Um, yeah, I mean, it, I think it, the question is when does the, um, the validator set the uh, AD, the authenticated data bit, in, in the response? Oh, right, because the, the C name is authentic, provably authentic, but the actual canonical data isn't. Right, and, and I just I can't remember. And You'd think that it would say, hey, you know, I, I validated it at least according to the security policies for the zones that contain the data. Mm-hmm. We, we might have to have, uh, we might have to com come back to this in 2023. <laughs> well, but I think that, I think that we're pretty confident in, in, in the basics of how, uh, of, of how it works, right? Oh, yes. That yes. It's, it's perfectly okay. I mean, you can have the CNAME record signed and you can have the CNAME record point to a canonical name in a zone that is in fact not signed and it still works out and the validating name servers know what to do about that. Mm -hmm. Okay. All right. All right. So one more. I think so. Do we risk it? Oh, I think people would feel they didn't get their money's worth. <laughs> well, you get what you pay for with the Ask Mr. <laughs> DNS podcast. Yes, you do. All right. Uh, this one comes from Gavin Brown. And uh, he says, hi, guys. I told Matt in San Francisco that I've been meaning to ask a question. Here it is. Now that COM, well done, Matt, and the rest of the VeriSign team for that, net org and many other TLDs are signed, domain owners can now, in theory, get their DS records into their parent zone and have a chain of trust all the way from the root zone to their zone. And by the way, I, congratulations. That is, a, I think, a really big deal. And I, oh, I'm sure you. it took no small amount of work on your part and on the part of VeriSign. It, it did. In, in San Francisco, uh, what uh, Gavin is referring to is the ICANN meeting that was there uh, in mid-March and I gave a presentation that talked about uh, signing.com and .net and went over the, the architecture of it because we made, I think, some, some interesting design decisions. And I think if you're into this sort of thing, that's an interesting thing to, uh, to, to know about. But anyway, at the, at the end, I said, uh, you know, I, I got a round of applause. And, and I said, well, that, that's very nice. I said, I, I get to, you know, soak up the applause, but, you know, hundreds of people worked on this. And somebody asked, afterwards said, you know, really? Hundreds of people? And, and I said, well, yeah, you know, when you when you figure um, developers, uh, you know, QA people doing the testing, uh, sure. the operations people who deployed it to say nothing of the people on, you know, the business side who who <laughs> paid for it. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, I mean, it really it really was uh, hundreds of people. It was a, a big effort by a lot of people and really a significant change to our systems. And uh, it all it all worked out very smoothly. Yeah, it certainly did, and I think that's uh, that's to uh, your great credit. That is you plural. So, uh, so Gavin asks. Uh, he's, he says, uh, but the process of getting DS records up to the parent is still a manual one, and many domain registrars still don't support this process. Couldn't registries just query their child zone's authoritative name servers and automatically get new DS records? Uh, all the data that are querying for is signed, so it's hard to imagine any security risks. What else am I missing? And he says, disclosure, I work for a DNSSEC-enabled registry called Central NIC and would like to help customers automate these sort of processes and provide a workaround for when their registrar can't deal with DNSSEC. Well, this is a good question, and it's an issue that people have raised uh, many times and proposed different solutions for. And the issue is that in the uh, domain name ecosystem, uh, the domain name industry, you and I were just kind of talking about this I don't know if it was in San Francisco, just the idea that now 
now there's like a whole industry around domain names and it was sort of blown our minds 15 years ago. Yeah. But anyway, in this domain name industry, you know, a great deal of domain names uh, follow, you know, they're, they're purchased and, and maintained through this uh, three-tiered model of you have the, the registrar um, who, who has the domain name and they get that through, uh, oh wait, did I, I think I just said the wrong word, the registrant, right. and they get that through the registrar who's like the retailer and then ultimately that domain name comes from the registry who actually operates the authoritative name servers. And, and in this model, uh, there's almost no direct interaction between the registrant, uh, the consumer, and the registry. That, that's all mediated by registrars. Exactly. And, and the issue is, what if your registrar doesn't support DNSSEC? And, and that's what we're finding now. Uh, a lot of the big registrars do, but certainly not every registrar does. So if, if you've been using a particular registrar for years and years, and now .com is signed, and you go, all right, well, I want to I sign my you know, acme.com domain, and you go to your registrar's webpage, and you see nothing about DNSSEC, you know, what, what do you do? You know, you really, really nothing you can do at this point. Right. I, I actually went through this just recently, and I had to walk. I had to, to leave my old registrar and go to a new one. Oh, okay. Yeah. And, and I, I know a certain number of people will do just that. They'll, they'll vote with their feet, as it were. Mm-hmm. And so people have said, well, can't we, can't we figure out ways around this? And uh, what, what Gavin is suggesting is, well, couldn't the registry just query directly into uh, the child zone? <laughs> you know, couldn't, couldn't the .com registry query into Acme.com yep. and look for uh, DNS keys? And if it found them, uh, convert them into DS records and publish the DS records? Right, right. And, kind of and sounds I su- dangerous to me. <laughs> yeah, so I, I think just from, if we look at, look at this only from a technical perspective, um, the issue you have is, you know, how do you know that those DNS keys that you're getting back are legitimate? I mean, after all, the whole thing we get with DNSSEC is, uh, you know, origin authentication, you, you know, and data integrity. And, and you need those things in order to know that the DNS keys you're retrieving are legitimate but you know we've got a bootstrap problem here you know you can't you can't trust that initial uh dns query that gets you the dns keys right i mean someone someone could potentially spoof exactly. the the, DN, the the response to the to the registry's key for or a dns key query and and then you're toast right yeah. you could bootstrap the wrong the wrong ds record into the zone and then make you know, it, it enable enable a uh, a bad guy to to impersonate the the subzone. Yeah. Now, it, realistically, that's highly unlikely. But at the same time, you know, do we really want to base this uh, the security of this new system? You know, do do we want to have uh, from the very beginning uh, a hole like that that you know could could cause problems? And so so technically, this is kind of on, on shaky ground that that idea. Yeah. Uh, and then. From a, a business perspective, it, it gets even more complicated because, uh, I mean, if you take if you take VeriSign's case with the .com and the .net uh, registries, those are what are called uh, thin registries. In that, mm-hmm. uh, VeriSign does not have any information about the registrant. All we know is the registrar that registered the domain. So we've just got we've got no information about the domain owner. And that means that there's no way that we could do any kind of authentication. There's no way, you know, let alone just, just contacting them. Right. And so, right. you know, we just simply do not have a relationship with, with the registrant. It's only with the registrar. Right. Or, or conversely, if 
if the registrant wanted to contact you and say, oh, my goodness, I've made a mistake. I need to fix it or, uh, you know, I need to upload a new DS record or I need to do whatever. I need to, you know, invalidate that. I've been spoofed. You have no idea that, you know, he's the duly authorized representative of that particular subdomain. Exactly. And meanwhile, we have the registrars in the middle who, uh, you know, quite understandably, you could imagine would probably not want the registries talking to their customers. Sure, sure. So this is just sort of a case where the, the real world business structures intervene and we just have an industry that works a particular way and uh, there's just legal and business and technical reasons that all conspire to make this suggestion, you know, while it's, while it's interesting, probably not, not workable. Yeah, yeah, unfortunately. I, I'm curious, do you guys know how many of the COM and NET registrars do support DNSSEC? Uh, as of this point? You know, I don't because we're, we're very specifically not requiring any kind of a uh, certification. Uh, you oh, know, okay. When, uh, in order to become an ICANN-accredited uh, registrar, uh, you have to, well, you have to do all of the paperwork with ICANN, but once, once ICANN um, uh, accredits you, then you, you do have to get certified with VeriSign. We have a test environment where you have to come in and show that your client software could properly interoperate with the registry using the, the EPP protocol, the mm -hmm. extensive extensible provisioning protocol. So that's another one of those things. It's like ATM machine. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So so you you have to show that you can send well formed EPP and 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 you know it's sort of like you you must be this tall in order to enter the domain name industry, uh, but. That, that's only a one. That's only a one-time thing, and and we made the very conscious decision that we, we didn't want to have any impediments to uh, DNSSEC adoption by registrars. You know, mm -hmm. and to the contrary, we've done a lot of things to try and make it just as easy as possible, and and to be as supportive as possible uh, as we could of registrars, so that they would adopt DNSSEC support, and that people wouldn't be in the situation that you were in, where they found their registrar didn't support DNSSEC, and they they had to walk, and. So one of the many things we thought we could do is, uh, you know, just not put uh, any kind of a certification obstacle in a registrar's way. You know, they've, they've mm -hmm. already proven to us that they know how to write EPP client software and the extensions to support DNSSEC and EPP. Uh, you know, it's a change, of course, but it's relatively minor in the scheme of things. If you've already, if you can already do EPP, it's not a big deal to add DNSSEC support, especially since we also uh, offer SDKs, you know, we've always done this, C++ and, and Java SDKs. Right. And they've been updated to, to have support. So, it, you know, it's just really not a big deal. So that is a long-winded way to say, <laughs> uh, you know, no. We, we only know when registrars tell us, uh, you know, when our account managers communicate with them or we otherwise find out. And, and you know, so I don't, I don't even know an informal count. I mean, it's, it's double digits now. I think I know that much. But beyond that, I don't, I don't know. So they can just start speaking the the requisite dialect of EPP to you to start moving DS records into position and stuff like that. There's no there's no f switch that needs to be flipped or anything. They just say, oh, here's a DS record for that subscriber, by the way. That's exactly right. In fact, they can even do it. Um, th they have a, uh, an administrative web-based interface that they can use, and they can even do it that way as well. So even a, even a registrar that, say, hasn't implemented it in their EPP client still has access via the admin interface to the registry to make uh, additions or changes. Interesting. So the, there's, there's a workaround, a way to do it manually, more or less. There is. Huh. Well, good. Yeah. You know, the, the whole, um, it, it, so it was March 31st was the day that we uh, officially enabled 
DNSSEC, but because we did this uh, very conservative inc incremental rollout, at, at that point, really, the dot-com zone was already signed and did have the real key material in it. Um, the, the final step in the deployment was publishing the DS record in the root zone. Right. So, you know, we had this, we had this big day, and it, it was a big deal for everybody, including VeriSign, but in terms of what actually happened, uh, you know, we couldn't really all stand around and <laughs> have this big deployment. I mean, it was kind of like, oh, okay, the DS is in the root. Hooray! You know, I mean, it was... Uh, right. After, right. after all that, I wouldn't say it was anticlimactic. That's going a little far, but it was, uh, you know, there wasn't the ability to sort of uh, flip the big red switch and uh, and say, all right, now we're done. Right, right. It was sort of a, a non-event in in that way, although it was, of course, a big red letter day. It was, yeah. Now, now what are you going to do? <laughs> well, people are asking me that. I'm kind of it makes me a little nervous that people are asking. I, no. <laughs> well, I, uh, I, I think the, the assumption is that that occupied some large amount of your your time for 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 quite a while, and you know there must be other big projects. Yeah, well, well, it did. This um, this is going to let me um, tackle some of the data analysis and and research projects that that I've wanted to do that that tend to get put on hold via higher pressing stuff like uh you know deploying dnssec so i'm i'm actually looking forward uh, more i've already started sort of rolling up my sleeves and, and taking a look at uh at some of the stuff that i wanted to look at from a research perspective for a long time great great well we nailed it we got three we did we did in a nice nice episode yeah nice yeah. length rather yeah absolutely huh anything else we should talk about while we have each other on the phone <laughs> since it happens so infrequently <laughs> yeah boy uh i i don't know what to say i was just complaining before we started recording that uh all the pollen it's it, you know it's springtime in washington it's actually some stuff has already peaked the mm. the famous uh, cherry trees on the the tidal basin tidal basin in uh, downtown washington dc those those have already peaked they've already bloomed and leafed out that was probably three weeks ago so but many other things are still flowering and mm -hmm. if you have allergies which i apparently do it's uh you know the air is filled with poison yeah well walt was actually just out your way he was on his uh middle school washington dc trip and, and said that he saw sort of the tail end of the cherry blossoms yeah well good i'm i'm, I'm glad he did it's really uh Springtime is by far the best time in Washington, and it's just really, really nice. And in, in mm -hmm. fact, I, I remember before we moved out here, uh, <coughs> a friend of mine got married uh, over Memorial Day, and I guess that's let's call it late spring. But I, uh, you know, I came out to be in the wedding and had this long weekend in, in Washington one Memorial Day. It was just gorgeous. And to be quite honest, that's that's kind of when it sort of. Uh, f uh, kind of clicked for me that I you know my, my wife and I have been talking about moving to Washington but you know I came out here and just had this wonderful experience and I thought oh that, that's it I got to move here this is you know it, it, just, it just was such a such a great experience springtime yeah. in Washington mm -hmm. and yeah. then it gets to be August and it's you know 100 degrees <laughs> Fahrenheit yeah. like let's see what's that uh, 33 you know it gets into the 30s all you people who aren't in the U.S. yeah I'm out there in Gosh, July or August, I think, for FOSI, big uh, federal open systems yeah. show. Oh. Yeah. So <laughs> I guess well, I'll, I'll see you then, and it'll probably be plenty hot. Yeah, we've been here before then. You know what it's like. Yeah, yeah, sure do. 
All right. Well, I think we should wind it up. All right. Let's do. Yeah. Well, so thanks, as always, for sending in your questions. We can't do it without questions. And please keep them coming. And the address to send them to is mrdns at ask-mrdns.com. So that's mrdns at ask-mrdns.com. And uh, we've still got a few T-shirts left, right? Yeah, yeah, we do. We do. I don't know how many. There, there's a box on my desk. I, I can check it out tomorrow. <laughs> yeah. So uh, our three uh, lucky listeners today whose questions were answered will get uh, T-shirts sent to them. We'll contact you to get postal addresses. But uh, we thank you. Thank you for those. And, and again, uh, please, please send us your questions. Our plea, as usual, at the end of every episode. So I guess uh, with that, until next time, and we'll hope it's not another two months. All right. Bye-bye.